Ah, my friends, welcome back to the New Wave Podcast. Daniel DiPiazza checking in with you here. So happy to have you on this Friday edition of the podcast. You know, we always do a nice weekly recap of all the things I find interesting in the headlines. And of course, there's you know never enough time to do everything, but I like to do a quick uh, you know delve into my notes from the week and give you some of the things that are top of the list in terms of the, the things that we're bringing to each other on this podcast every week. And of course, when I say each other, I mean it is a community. I'm getting feedback from you in the comments. I'm getting feedback from you via email. Uh, you know, even in the review. So I'm really thankful for that. And we talk about things like politics, entrepreneurship and business. We're talking about uh, crypto and Web3 technology, blockchain, all that kind of type of stuff, psychedelic psychology, uh, the future, all this cool stuff on the podcast. So I'll share some of my notes and the highlights with you from the week and we'll get right into it. Uh, before we get to it, let's talk about a few things. Uh, one, uh, much love to Swanick Sleep, who has been uh, holding down the podcast as the first official sponsor of uh, this show since we rebooted. And I wear this stuff all the time, uh, their glasses all the time. I, I was, I'm rereading The Pilgrimage, uh, which is uh, Paulo Coelho's first book. And um, if you haven't uh, read The Pilgrimage, you've probably only read The Alchemist. The Pilgrimage, I think, is his best book by far. And I was reading it last night. My eyes were getting tired. I put on the glasses. And uh, it's much easier to, uh, I find, look at things when your eyes aren't uh, tired from the bright glare of, I I think it's called blue light. These are like blue light blocking glasses. And uh, sure enough, it's a lot easier to go to sleep too when you don't have that migraine from having that light just just cutting through your corneas, cutting through your your eyes, man. Really, uh, for me at least, I start to realize how much I'm staring at screens when I think about the fact that I'm looking at either a a phone or a tablet or a laptop or a desktop or a TV 80% of my day. And so it's it's really good for uh, not just reducing the strain, but also um, it's, it's really good for helping you get better sleep at night. And sleep hygiene is an important part of a productive uh, morning and or evening routine. So make sure that you get your sleep hygiene dialed in. Swan Sleep is great for that. Uh, you can check out uh, their store and get 15% off just for listening to the show. So it's swanwick, S-W-A-N-W-I-C-K, sleep dot com forward slash Daniel, or you can go to newwaveentrepreneur.com and you can check out all of our sponsorship stuff there and uh, get 15% off just for just listening to the show. That's it. Much love. I'll see you this weekend. If you're going to be in Tucson, I'm at Soul Revival with my friends, doctors, Brett and Kate Jones, and we're talking about all things business, spiritual health, and otherwise. So uh, if you're going to be there, uh, I'll be happy to see you there. And let's jump right into the headlines. Okay, so this was interesting. First of all, uh, I don't know if you've ever done a DEXA scan before, but I typically do them every six months or so. And a DEXA scan is essentially a low wave x-ray or a low frequency x-ray that uh, that allows you to see your body composition in probably the most accurate way possible by looking at your entire uh, bone mass, your bone density, your muscle mass, uh, and your fat mass, and being able to separate it all in a visual representation and then be able to calculate how much fat you have, where it is, uh, how strong your bones are, how much muscle tissue you have. And it's really the most accurate way of looking at your entire muscular muscle musculoskeletal system. There you go. Say that five times fast. And it's, I, I actually like doing it because it's it's the most objective way of looking at the body. And I used to get them done a lot when we lived in Los Angeles. I get them done probably every six months, like I said, and I haven't gotten one in almost 18 months, almost two years since we've been, since we moved to, uh, to Oregon. 
And I got my first one again this morning at a place called Apex. Uh, so shout out to Apex over here in, in Beaverton and Tigard. And uh, I found out that I'd gained six pounds of fat. So that's great. So I'm really happy about that. And uh, I have the exact same amount of muscle, which is, you know, it's enough muscle for me. Okay. But I just gained exactly six pounds of fat. I have the exact same amount of muscle as I had two years ago. Uh, so I guess I see where I have to improve my game. But I say all that to say that I was reading through uh, a few different web, uh, websites that I track regularly. And this one is interesting. It's coming out of neuroscience news. And the headline says, lipid and glucose levels at age 35 are associated with Alzheimer's disease. And of course, when I saw the headline, age 35, I said, oh, that's getting, that's that's me. You know, I'm 34 in a couple months here. So the summary is low HDL and high triglyceride levels in the blood at 35 were associated with an increased risk of developing Alzheimer's disease later in life. Additionally, higher glucose levels between 51 and 60 were linked to a higher risk of Alzheimer's. So this is interesting. Basically, um, what they're finding is that you don't have to be already moving into the later stage of your life for uh, lipid, which is fat, and glucose, which is sugar, to affect your uh, your body chemistry enough to put you in the trajectory towards Alzheimer's as early as 35. And it says, according to researchers from Boston University Medical School, uh, lower HDL, which there are two types of, uh, of cholesterol, by the way. There's HDL, uh, which is typically known as like the good cholesterol, and there's LDL, which is typically known as the bad cholesterol. So you want to have higher HDL and lower LDL. But this is saying that lower HDL, which is the good cholesterol, you don't want lower HDL, lower HDL and higher triglyceride levels, which is higher fat levels measured in blood as early as age 35 are associated with a higher instance of Alzheimer's disease several decades later in life. They also found that high blood glucose measured between ages 51 and 60 is associated with risk of Alzheimer's disease in the future. Quote, while our findings confirm other studies that linked cholesterol and glucose levels measured in blood with risk of Alzheimer's disease, uh, we have shown for the first time these associations extend much earlier in life than previously thought. And this was interesting just because, you know, it just reminds me that, uh, you know, there's no time like the present to start getting your, uh, your health into shape. Really, it is uh, your physical vessel is the organic matter, which is decaying rapidly uh, on, a, on a daily, you know, uh, practically um, continuous rate and through which we do all of this creative work through which we do all of this spiritual work, you know, moving all this energy through our bodies. And there's a way of taking care of it where it can have uh, longer lasting, you know, so it can decay a little bit slower, uh, sometimes a lot slower. You can really speed up the decay if you do certain things wrong. Uh, and also, so it'll be more pleasurable too. Like there's a way of operating the body where it feels better. And in one of my my uh, my speeches, my talks, I actually, we actually played for a throwback Thursday recently. I talked about how there are different types of wellness and how most of us come to think of uh, wellness as uh, just the absence of, of bad symptoms, right? The absence of feeling bad. But the way I think of true wellness is not just the absence of, of, of a pain or the absence of sickness, but I think of it as robust health, physical health that's on the continuous upswing. You don't want to be trending down. You always want to be pushing to trend up because 
what I've learned is with any organic material, there really is no maintenance. It's a living, breathing thing. It's like a wave. It's a wiggle. It's a constant motion. It's never, it's never standing in one space. So you might think that you're not changing, but you, you are, you know? And so if you are the one changing and you have the ability to create the direction of that change, either in a healthy direction or an unhealthy direction, at least always be trying to push yourself in the healthy direction. Sometimes you're going to fail. I certainly always fail. And uh, then you at least won't be stagnating and moving down because really, if you're if you're not if you're not changing and trying to move up, you're really going to actually lose ground and deteriorate, uh, which is just you know the nature of the of the physical body and the nature of human psychology too. It's like it's easy to um, kind of just let let things go for a while, but I'm always looking at uh, my my. Uh, blood tests as well. So for instance, I uh, have this um, this company called Forward that operates in a bunch of major cities now. And they have these clinics you can walk into and you can you can get your uh, your blood work done at any time. You can get physicals whenever you, whenever you need them. Uh, there's always a doctor on call for you. You can contact them in the app. I mean, it's a fantastic service and it's only like 150 bucks a month. And I have no idea how they've been able to create a profitable model for this. My guess is that there's no way they can be profitable, but yet the service has been around for years now and it's an incredible high-end service. And um, I get my blood test done about about twice a year. So I'll get my blood work done and I'll look at my cholesterol. I will look at my, uh, so I'll do like a whole lipid panel. I'll look at my blood sugar, so glucose. I'll look at my testosterone. I'll look at, yeah, just everything that is irrelevant you know, thing to me, for instance, you know, I'll take creatine sometimes. So I'll look at my creatine in levels and they actually have a whole panel that they give me on, uh, on the forward dashboard. And I can see if anything's out of what they consider normal. And I just consider it a matter of looking at your stats. You know, you look at your bank account frequently, don't you? At least that's what I preach, right? In our, in our workshops, for instance, it's like financial hygiene is constantly checking up on yourself to make sure it's trending in the right direction. Wouldn't physical hygiene, which, you know, health hygiene be part of that, like constantly checking up on it. So going back to, you know, I was saying I'm doing the uh, the DEXA scan today and I was doing, you know, and I'll do the, the blood test. I think I did one at the end of last year, like last October. So I'll do one again, maybe eh, next month or fall. But um, either way, this is part of it too. So, hey, 30-year-olds, 34-year-olds, 35-year-olds, watch the cholesterol. You know, that's why to me, you know, I found six extra pounds of fat today from the from the, the DEXA scan. Now I'm going to go out and run tonight. So, okay, that's the health news. It's just a little, a little slap, a little love tap from one friend to another. Okay, let's talk about some crypto and tech stuff. Okay, so in the world of crypto and tech, now this one is really interesting. DeFi Robinhood hacker exploits crypto worth $52 million on Casio. So this is coming out of tech in Asia. So, so there's a DeFi hack. And man, DeFi is, uh, it's such a risky industry. You know, all of this is risky, but there's levels to it. And DeFi is so interesting. And I think it's going to be a big part of the future of finance. But there are so many loopholes right now in the DeFi game that it's really hard to, uh, to, to, <laughs> To watch your back if you're not doing your research. So don't don't FOMO into any project. Don't ape into any project. I mean, I have done that, and it's usually never worked well for me. So, in fact, it's never worked well for me. So just just wait to see how projects pan out. Uh, even though you will sometimes miss some of the the big booms, that's true. But if you do your research first and you take a little bit more of a measured approach, 
you'll probably do better in the long run, even though you might miss some of the, the biggest booms, you'll be more consistently winning over time. And, and some of these Robinhood or some, some of these DeFi uh, hacks are examples of that. People put in all their money, they get greedy, and then they get, you know, they get hacked. I don't think that was the case with this one. I think this was actually a benevolent hack, it seems. It says Solana-based stablecoin protocol Casio was exploited by a hacker for uh, over $52 million after an infinite mint glitch enabled the person to mint tokens without providing collateral. The hacker has been described as a, quote, modern-day Robin Hood for leaving a note in the input data of the Ethereum transactions that says accounts with less than 100K have been returned. All other money will be donated to charity. According to a report by Bybit, the hacker kept true to his promises and paid out the stolen USDC, which is a stablecoin, uh, to the wallet addresses that were worth less than 100K. However, there's little evidence of the money, uh, the rest of the money be donated to charity. Following the hack, the value of Casio's token, which is called cash, tanked to nearly zero. The company cautioned users on minting the tokens and asked users to withdraw their funds from the pool as well. You know, it's hard to say it's hard to say that the users in this case were dumb or that the company was at fault. Sometimes this stuff is an inside job. Other times it's just the technology is so new and the companies can't move usually as fast as an individual hacker can. And I'm sure they have people watching this stuff, but um, yeah, it's just I've seen this happen quite a bit in DeFi, so it's something to be careful of. Either way, though, what do you think about these types of hacks? Uh, do you think that this person is really going to donate the money to charity? Do you think that they're going to get away with it? Do you think it was inside an inside job? These things always fascinate me. So that was the first thing I saw in crypto. What else do we have in the crypto news? Okay, this one's interesting. So I was just looking through some of the companies that I've seen uh, making big transitions to Web3 positions in this, this new generation of, of tech. And one of them that stood out as crossing the chasm from real old school to coming into the true, true new, new school is Goldman Sachs. So Goldman Sachs is an investment bank and it's, you know, they work with clients and companies and they're real old school. They uh, have been around for a few hundred years. I, I, I'm thinking <laughs> definitely, definitely at least a hundred, probably a few hundred years. And if you look at their website now, the number one headline says digitalization. Then the, the subheadline says, from cryptocurrencies to the metaverse, explore the megatrends that are reshaping economies. And so they are heavily positioning themselves towards blockchain, towards the metaverse, towards digital, towards where the economy is going. Now, this is very interesting because Goldman Sachs was one of those stodgy old corporations that even just a few years ago, as, as early as you know a few years ago or as late as a few years ago, was still saying that Bitcoin was for fraudsters and scamsters. And now look at them jumping on that train. And it's a good thing because, of course, if Goldman Sachs is involved and everything else, you know, the rise, the rising tide, all boats rise. Uh, but at the same time, it's just kind of like it's so hypocritical. It's like, oh, yes, yes, yes. Now you want to get on the train. And I also wonder if crypto doesn't continue to go as they hope that it would, Will they just easily just shake off this position and do something else? Like I've seen that. How often has we have we seen? And even if you look at the Goldman Sachs homepage, they have digitalization, and then if you keep scrolling down, they have uh, if you scroll all the way to the bottom, they have carbonomics, the clean hydrogen revolution, which is basically just clean energy. You know, um, I guess energy carbon neutral things, and then. They have another big headline, Black in Business, 1 million Black women. And then this is about an initiative of how they're taking it further by uh, reaching Black 
reaching black women's whole proprietors with the tools necessary to turn their businesses for growth, blah, blah, blah. So that's all fine. And then under that, they have what careers. So they are hitting a lot of the trendy hot buttons. They're hitting on one homepage for Goldman Sachs, which is a very old stodgy firm. They have blockchain, metaverse, they have clean carbon, carbon neutral energy, uh, and they have black and woman. So they're positioning very hard towards the things that I think millennials care about. It seems like millennials and under really care about those things. Not that everyone doesn't or many generations don't, but especially millennials and younger. We definitely have been the, if not the sole creators, certainly the forerunners of digitalization. We certainly have been, if not the sole creators, the forerunners of clean energy initiatives. Not that we're making all the laws, but our generation does give a fuck. A lot of the generations before us, the younger, the older ones don't give a damn about the environment, or at least didn't until we started making a big deal out of it. It's like, well, obviously they're killing the environment. Do you think any of the politicians now, some of them now are beginning to care, but most of the old, you know, six, 50 to 50 plus year old politicians did not care about the environment before we started making a ruckus about it. And of course there's Al Gore, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so carbon, carbon neutral. And then also, you know, just uh, black women business. All of this stuff is great, but it's it's very with the times. I wonder how likely they are to commit or uncommit to things as they see fit for their interests. But I thought it was useful in uh, helping the entire industry move forward with regards to them focusing on digitization. So check out Goldman Sachs and let's let's see what they actually do. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people say, you know, we're into the metaverse, but like, what are they actually doing? I'm clicking through on their page right now. And they have some articles on it and uh, I'll, I'll look through their stuff. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, uh, who their, who their, uh, their members are at the top who are making some of their messaging decisions for how they're reshaping their branding. And I'm very keen on branding and love to hear about how older companies are turning around their brand to fit into the, the vision of the new world. Uh, let's talk about some other crypto news. Okay, so what else do we have here? So this is interesting. So two things on Ethereum, okay? The first is that Ethereum staking on Coinbase has dropped. And so I believe that uh, as recently as a few years ago, uh, or maybe even last year, uh, their big, uh, Ethereum staking was about 5%. So let me, let me go back, let me go back. Staking, what is staking? So staking is basically just lending your tokens to the network for liquidity so that the network can continue to create transactions for other users who are buying and selling. You put your tokens of whatever coin you're buying into a pool and in exchange for holding your tokens there, uh, you get a certain amount of interest back. Okay. That's staking. And uh, it's pretty cool because if you think about it, most interest that comes from banks, uh, you know, it's going to, you're going to less than 1%. Most banks are giving 0.2%, 0.3%. You know, uh, I think CDs are giving 1% now. So certainly not that much money. Uh, but a lot of these, st- well, and also consider the fact that that uh, inflation's at 7%. And that's, that's the low end. You know, I think it's probably higher than 7 But even if it is, even if you're getting, you're rounding up and saying getting 1% at a bank, and even if you're, saying you're rounding down and saying inflation's 7%, you're still losing at least 6% right now on inflation. Now, a lot of these staking protocols will go, you know, they'll, they'll uh, create interest that exceeds inflation. And so you have something like Ethereum, for instance, 
that not only is it gaining value by the year, so there's been some volatility recently, but let's we'll just talking broadly. You know, a few years ago it was like $100, now it's 3000. Every year, every couple of years it's gaining value, right? And on top of that, it's also compounding through staking, right? Or it's also gaining interest through staking. And that interest if that interest already exceeds inflation, you have something that's compounding and not even being touched by inflation. And so it's just a very good financial tool or financial you know, asset. Now, sounds great. Obviously, it's not financial advice. Do your own research, all those key phrases in there. And obviously, there's been volatility with Ethereum recently, but it's a great strategy overall. I think Ethereum is going to be a great hold. So uh, typically, Coinbase has it has enticed people to stake their Ethereum in the platform for a 5% return, 5% interest, which is not bad. However, there are other platforms that are custodial, meaning Coinbase, when you stake with Coinbase, they are holding on to your token for a certain amount of time. I think it's two years. It could be even three years. Now, I staked two Ethereum with Coinbase, which is not bad. And I like it because it makes me hold it. It forces me to hold it for two or three years. I can't, I physically can't get it out. And they get to use it in their network for that two or, two or three two or three year period, but then I get that guaranteed interest on it. And uh, there are other exchanges that will give you more. For instance, Celsius, I believe gives you more. I think Kraken will give you a little bit more now. And I believe um, there are a few others, maybe even Blockfolio, I think. And because while Coinbase used to be a 5% interest, now it's like 3.67. It went down to 4.5, then it went down to 4. Now it's under under 4. Now it's like 3.6. So that's kind of an update that that I think that with these staking protocols, if you're interested in DeFi, with a lot of these staking protocols, the more people start using them, I think the less interest overall you're gaining over time. And kind of read the terms is all I'm saying because you're locked in for two or three years. You can't withdraw those funds and maybe that wasn't your plan. So just read the terms and conditions. There are other staking protocols out there where you can withdraw the funds anytime. Coinbase just isn't one of them because it's a custodial wallet. So something to look at. But on the flip side for Ethereum, here's another piece of news. Did you know, you like that little transition? Did you know that Ethereum has now surpassed the Bank of America and MasterCard in market cap? So what does that mean? I think it basically means that in terms of like total value, total valuation based on all the the transactions and money they have in their ecosystem, uh, Ethereum has passed actually a lot of really huge companies as uh, as uh, more valuable. And so I'm actually going to read some of these to you. I'm going to read um, the nine places under <laughs> Ethereum because Ethereum now has a has a market cap of $366 billion, which is just incredible, right? And so this is coming from Finbold. And let's see. So under Ethereum, so you have Procter & Gamble with $360 billion, ExxonMobil, Nestle, Bank of America, Louis Vuitton, uh, Roche, who I don't know, um, another uh, something like a Korean bank, which I'm not familiar with, MasterCard, Home Depot, and Chevron. Uh, actually, and actually, it was a Chinese bank and a Swiss, uh, a Swiss, I think, a uh, fashion company. So anyway, there are quite a few huge companies, and of course, you, you know, Ethereum really isn't even a company. We're just talking about in terms of market capitalization, which is just the 
amount of money in that ecosystem, basically, and how much money is you know could you could you squeeze out of it? Jeez, that's a lot. Now, above a, a bank that's still kind of leading Ethereum uh, is uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, which with 412 billion, so they're still bigger. And of course, Bitcoin is still ahead of Ethereum at 816 billion, which is just massive. It's almost a trillion dollars alone just in Bitcoin. But Ethereum is quickly catching up, and uh, I think it will eventually catch up and surpass. Maybe not in like token value, like Ethereum, because uh, or token value like Bitcoin, because I don't think it's as finite. It's not meant to be as finite, but. I believe that in market cap, in terms of how much is out there and how much is being, uh, you know, spent at any given time, I think that Ethereum is going to be probably outweigh Bitcoin in, in many different ways. So, either way, I think it's super interesting and just it's it's bullish for the market. It's, I think we're probably still in a bear market right now. I don't know what the real crypto experts would say. I think we probably still are, but I think it's a bullish sign in a bear market, and especially when you see things like uh, like Goldman Sachs getting really involved, and you see just you know even in these these quote bear times you see bigger players moving in and you know they're uh they're buying when there's blood in the water they're still bullish because they're thinking long term i think a lot of retail investors myself included get really shook up by thinking so short term six months to a year in front of our faces if that and we're making moves based on just what we think is going to happen today tomorrow next month and these big giants are taking their slow moves slow time like turning a big cruise ship and they don't need to uh make a lot of frantic moves that can be more calculated. And so I think that's what you're seeing. It's that, you know, we haven't really seen big institutions stop buying crypto. We've heard that crypto is, you know, crypto is tied to the, the stock market. So it's not as decentralized now. Or uh, crypto is in a, in a bear market. It's not a good time. Or we've heard all this stuff. But one thing we haven't seen is the big corporations stop involving themselves in crypto. Meta is still meta. You know, they're still going forward. Goldman Sachs is still moving into the future. You know, like these companies are still moving into, into that space heavily. They're still investing heavily. And, you know, whether it was the fate of the world to be uh, to be into the metaverse or whether it was just their desire and all those big companies are going to push us into the metaverse one way or another, I think that we're going to have a, a, another layer of reality. I don't know if it's a second or a third layer, which layer we're on, but another layer of reality on top of the one that we're already experiencing within the next decade. And you're not going to have a choice about necessarily whether you want to interact there. There's going to be some element of you that does interact with it because it will just be part of the human experience. So that is uh, that is the crypto and the tech stuff right now. I think it's really cool. It's interesting. Okay, so I wanted to uh, end this with just talking a bit about what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. Uh, well, really, what's going on in Ukraine by Russia. And I don't want to make the whole show about politics. That's not what the point of the show is. But I do think it's important for several reasons. One, you know, you are a citizen of the world. Now, more than ever, the we are affected by what happens in the world. And we can see what happens in the world in almost real time. Before, in other wars and other time periods, we were much more cloistered. We were much more, you know, in our own environment. And now with social media and the internet and all this stuff, we can see what's happening in real time. And I wonder what the outcome of different wars would have been if we would have had the technology we do now then. But I do know that it is important, especially from a uh, from just a humanitarian understanding, from a business understanding, from a psychological and economic understanding. All those reasons are why, you know, I will pay some attention to it. My my mindset in the past has been, I don't pay attention to news. And I think there is value to that, especially local news, which doesn't really tend to have a lot of real tangible value. But I do find 
uh, both interest and value in looking at international news, if not just to understand what's happening with the quote normal people so that I can go the opposite direction. It doesn't mean that I'm going to, you know, start donating to the Ukraine fund now, which, you know, there are, if you do, there's no problem with that. I think that's okay. All I'm saying is I'm not necessarily doing it for a certain political cause or, or trying to like do it to virtue signal. I'm just genuinely curious about what is going on. And so that's my perspective on this. And I do think that there's value in knowing it, just like there's value in knowing the news in other areas of the world. So you can make a more complete assessment of what is important for you. Uh, now, what I do think is interesting is that the U.S. is going to sanction uh, almost 400 uh, Russian elites and organizations, and they're going to do this systematically to cut Russia out of the world financial systems. So this is coming from CNBC. The United States plans to sanction approximately 400 Russian individuals and entities, including more than 300 lawmakers from Duma, the lower house of the Russian parliament, as Russian elites uh, and Russian elites, a senior Biden administration said on Thursday. Senior, senior Biden administration official said on Thursday. So they're quoting here, Quote, our purpose here is to methodically remove the benefits and privileges Russia once enjoyed as a participant in the international economic order, said the official. I mean, that, that says it's all right there. It goes on to say President Joe Biden will announce the measures during a speech before NATO on Thursday, the first of three major addresses he will deliver during his day in Brussels. So this is actually uh, something that is has already happened if you're listening to this on Friday, because we record this on Thursday. Um, but check in with how that actually went down uh, when you when you hear about this. I think it's so crazy that a country can cut, they can cut another country out of the world's economy. And that's why it's important to know because this is how, this is how the, they're playing the game at the very top. It's not necessarily about winning a hot war anymore. I think that between superpowers that all have equal nuclear capabilities, it's not smart for any one power to push that button. I think where the wars are going to be fought is going to be financially, uh, politically, technologically, and potentially chemically or biologically, you know, but but certainly financially is a major element of war. And actually Dalio in his book, his most recent book, talked about the different types of war and financial economic war is one of them. And this is a this is a prime example of economic warfare. If they're going to systematically cut Russia out of the world economy, that's also going to have a reaction. Now I'm not saying that what Russia is doing is correct. And and what I'll tell you right now is that they're not. I'm looking at two other articles here. Uh, one from Interfax, which is a Ukrainian website. So this is actually written in Ukrainian translated on Google Translator. But it says Russian army forcibly deports about 6,000 uh, Maripol re residents, which is a Ukrainian city, Maripol residents to Russian filtration camps. When I see when I see filtration, it sounds like uh, concentration to me. And it goes, the article goes on to say the Russian army has already forcibly deported about 6,000 residents of Maripol to Russian filtration camps in order to use them as hostages for political pressure on Ukraine. The Ukrainian foreign ministry has reported, quote, According to the according to information available, the Russian army has forcibly deported about 6,000 Maripol residents. That, that was the exact quote. Uh, the ministry explained that the Russian Federation began a new stage of terror against the city. Uh, quote, residents who survived Russian bombing and artillery shelling are now being forcibly deported to Russia. Some 15,000 residents of the left bank district of Maripol are in grave danger. The Russian occupiers are forcing, forcing them to move to Russia. The invaders confiscate people's passports and other identity documents, the Ukrainian foreign ministry said. 
According to the ministry, in parallel, the Russian armed forces are firing at evacuation columns trying to leave Mariupol for the unoccupied territory of Ukraine. Wow. Russian troops continue to hold back a humanitarian convoy of buses, which a few days ago arrived for Mariupol residents from Zaporizhia. So this is really fucked up, guys. I mean, this is uh, obviously a gross violation of international law. Russia is, um, they're basically shelling the cities in Ukraine. And then they are basically finding anybody who is alive and bringing them back to Russia as members of, quote, filtration camps, which doesn't sound like anything different from concentration camps to me. And then they're using them as pressure, as hostages, as pressure. That's This is coming from a Ukrainian website. That's, that's certainly not good. And what else do we have here? I saw I have one other one, too, which brings us. Yes. Now, this is coming from. Where's coming from? This is coming from NDTV. Quote, this morning, Russian phosphorus bombs were used. That's by Zelensky, who's the president of Ukraine. Vladimir Zelensky, during a video address to the U.S.-led military alliance, said, quote, this morning, by the way, phosphorus bombs were used. Uh, Russian phosphorus bombs, adults were killed again, and children were killed again. And yeah, I mean, I, I could even I could even talk about I could even talk about this. It says, this, quote, Ukrainian president Vladimir Zelensky urged NATO on Thursday to provide Kiev with unrestricted military aid one month into Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Quote, to save people in our cities, Ukraine needs military assistance without restrictions. In the same way that Russia is using its full arsenal without restrictions against us, he told NATO representatives via video link. While thanking members of the Western Military Alliance for the defensive equipment provided so far, he appealed for offensive weapons. You can give us 1% of all your planes, 1% of your tanks, 1%. Zelensky also accused Russia of deploying phosphorus weapons which spread a powder that ignites when in contact with oxygen and causes severe burns. Oh, this morning, oh, this morning uh, phosphorus bombs were used. Uh, the alliance uh, can once more prevent the death of Ukrainians from Russian strikes, from Russian occupation, from giving us all weapons we need. This, this is intense. And first of all, I didn't know that phosphorus gas ignited with oxygen. Oh, that is just, that is tyrannical. That is, that is absurd. And that being said, I, I just can't see, I can't see how NATO is going to be able to give Ukraine offensive weapons and guns. And I, I thought they'd already been given to them, but I can't see how NATO, which is essentially the U.S. I mean, the U. The U.S. is the big swinging dick of NATO. I can't see how the U.S. can can give Ukraine all this stuff and the U.S. not be at war with Russia as well. It's like. Uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? Wait, <laughs> the friend of my enemy is my enemy? I don't know. You know what I'm saying. It's like I, we're obviously not going to be in Russia's favor if we're supplying Ukraine with the supplies to beat them. And of course, other countries are, are, uh, are, would be contributing to that as well. So I don't see how that's going to work out. I, I'm really I'm curious to know how it's going to go. I'm, I'm happy that I'm not over there. I mean, that's all I can say is, as a, an American in, a, in Oregon, you know, in, in a very removed place from looking at this, it's it's really uh, sad what's happening. It's crazy. And uh, and I, I wonder how it's going to affect the world. And I, I wonder how much of it is meant to be a distraction versus just a convenient distraction because it just seems like, man, COVID is just is just drop kicked out of the headlines. And it doesn't seem like something that that is real should go away if something else comes up. And I know COVID hasn't gone away, but don't you find it interesting how different the 
coverage is of all the news. When we saw that COVID was kind of dying down with the recent wave, people weren't getting as sick and then the news coverage kind of faded. But then this happened to come up. Supposedly, it was something that just sprung up. And then we we took advantage of this, the fact that the Ukraine-Russia thing is happening. Now we have an, ex- an excuse for 24-7 coverage again. You know, this is something that people don't like to watch, but we can't help but watch. Jake Gyllenhaal, I think, had a really crazy movie. It was called Nightcrawler, and it was where he was a news reporter that was just catching these gritty accidents and murders and things like that. And there is something, too, if it bleeds, it leads. Even if it's bleeding in our own backyard, it's like we're obsessed with looking at the the destruction. We're just obsessed with looking at the chaos. And uh, I don't know if it's a, kind of like when you're when you're driving and you see a car accident and you just can't help but look, and then the whole traffic you know slows down because everyone's looking at the car accident, and sometimes other accidents are caused by looking at the car accident. Isn't that our attention when we're looking at all these accidents in the world? You know, we just completely slow down. So. It is a reason for not watching the news. You know, I said earlier, I used to not watch the news at all. And now I do because it's interesting to me. But there's a lot of argument to be said that, you know, if you don't watch it at all, you can move a lot faster. Although I do feel like part of the human experience is to tap in with what's going on. I, I feel like it's part of it. It doesn't mean that you have to care about everything in the world. But I do feel like part of the human experience is to have an opinion on so, or not even an opinion, but to have an awareness. You don't even need to have an intelligence around things, but just have an awareness. Like I was reading some Richard Feynman, who's a you know incredible physicist, and he said that I have a limited intelligence that I have directed towards a finite number of things. And that was a recognition that like he has done most of his life studying and, and working towards his understanding of physics. So his understanding of sociology or or economics might not be as good as someone else who'd studied that. Or, or someone else who maybe even even just more, a little bit more balanced, but even that awareness is a level of is a level of acknowledgement. And so I think that we should all be at least aware of what's going on, acknowledge how much we don't know, but not purposely avoid the information as it comes up. So I don't know that that's just where I'm at right now. I could change in a year. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. This is what I like to do on Fridays. I like to give a recap. And uh, and if you like this episode, please make sure that you subscribe on whatever platform you are tuning into this on, Spotify, uh, Apple, and give us some love. Leave a comment, leave a review. Thanks to Swannies for sponsoring this episode of the New Wave Podcast. Thanks to Drs. Brett and Kate Jones for having me at their event this weekend. We're going to do a great job. Uh, we have much more for you coming up during the year. We have so many cool episodes already planned and in the can. NewWaveEntrepreneur.com is where you're going to find all the updates on the show. Much love. The water is warm. The tide is rising. So let's jump on in. Get ready to surf this new wave. Daniel, out.